Welcome to this episode of the Sports Nutritionist Podcast. In this episode, I am sitting down with Dr. Laurent Bannock, founder of the IOPN, the Institute of Performance Nutrition, who is someone that we at the association have been working collaboratively with closely for the last four to five years now, and is someone who has mentored me with my career and how it's progressed as well. In this episode, I'm going through with Laurent about specific things that people should be considering when they're looking at further education. One of the requirements that we have within the association is that people shouldn't settle for a certificate as a minimum. So they should be going on to further study within their three-year provisional period, or at least before it lapses, at least to a postgraduate diploma level or a bachelor's level. That's just so that people get the foundational level of education that they need to be really, really good practitioners, both for themselves and their professions, as well as their clients. However, some people sometimes feel the need that they actually need to go on and do further study beyond that. They need to go in and do a master's or a PhD, like the people that they're looking up to, and they feel really compelled to do that. And so in this episode, we really explore when that is relevant and when you should go through that, but things to consider before looking at further study and what what the further study actually means at a relevant level to your career as a sports nutrition practitioner. So enjoy. Thank you for joining me, Laurent. Uh, for those who don't nice know, this is Dr. Laurent Bannock. And as you can see behind him, he has a wall of many a qualification. So <laughs> what we're going to be discussing for the member's benefit is coming from uh, definitely an expert authority in the area well i don't, I, I mean come on <laughs> <laughs> come on come on look i've been winging it for years mate it's uh all joking aside it's been a long long journey uh in fact it you know it's interesting i mean off offline we've just been talking about this but yes i'm in the in the education space you know uh i i I've been a practitioner for considerably longer, 30 years, actually. And um, I'm just at that point now where I've decided to retire from practice. In fact, this would be the first place I've announced it. Um, you know, I've, I've been very lucky. I've worked my way from many years as a personal trainer. A lot of people don't know this about me. So I spent most of my, my sort of early stages of my career as a PT. I even owned a gym at one point um so there you go i, I didn't even know that like. i knew you were a pt yeah many years, no, but i didn't know that you owned a gym yeah yeah not a lot of people do that was a long time ago and uh, in fact that experience was painful which some some of your uh, uh people there will have probably had the same experiences as i finally finally got my own gym my own studio and then my own gym and then a big massive chain opened this huge massive health club on the other side of the street literally that just killed me overnight killed my business overnight and uh, that was one of the events that made me think do you know what i <laughs> i need to uh, i need to try something different and actually that launched me into um going into the more elite pt sphere in, in london so I, I i ended up moving to london and worked a lot back in the days when uh, a personal trainer was not really well known. It was sort of the, the 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 thing that only Hollywood stars would have. So you know, but London being you know a, a capital city with you know the likes that like to have those specialty novelties 
I became one of those those people. But that's actually what forged my interest in nutrition and lifestyle because I found that that's that was an area that um, I felt had had more realistic impact on people, which everyone will share. You know, you you can train people if you're lucky two three times a week, but people are still eating you know two three four five times a day, and the fact that they're not achieving their goals is you know it's it's not the it's not the failures of the three training sessions a week it's the bottle of wine and the you know the bars of chocolate and the the, the whatever that um they're having every day that's probably that you know the failures in their own behavior change and and so on which is very difficult to achieve on three sessions a week of course fast forward nowadays you've got technologies to interact with with people online and and so on but I found this all interesting because in my case, I, I was that PT. And then, you know, many years later, I ended up, you know, heading up nutrition for the number one football team in the world, you know, the Belgian football team. How did I make that, that transition? And that's something that um, I've spent quite some time reflecting on over the years. In fact, I just happened to have my doctoral thesis here, <laughs> which is, um, that's a coincidence, by the way, I hadn't plan that for this which is on bridging the gap between science and practice in sports and exercise nutrition and part of that was a reflection of my own professional career and the things that I've done to get where I have now and part of that journey very much involved yes the need to upskill myself from being a badly qualified educated PT as I was back in those days I did not have a degree or anything and felt a dire need to improve upon myself. So I went and did every certification known to man. A lot of it was, as I reflect back, was embarrassing stuff. You know, just, oh, my, I can't believe I did it. Total quackery. Some really bizarre alternative stuff that I got into. But it was in the pursuit of trying to do the best that I can for my clients to get results and outcomes. And then you've got, you know, those issues where you then perceive yourself to be um, qualified or not qualified in the eyes of your peers, your colleagues. Oh, you've got to have a degree. You've got to have this, that, and the other. So then I ended up embarking on that journey, went and got my various degrees. The problem is that still didn't teach me what I needed to be effective and impactful in my work. And I think that those two words are very important. It being effective and impactful. And that was something that I, you know, identified a lot in my research was how do we actually become good at what we do? Because bear in mind, and a lot of people, this hopefully isn't a total shock to everyone. If you want to be successful in your work, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what bits of paper you stick on the wall. It doesn't um, really matter uh, uh, what boxes you tick in that regard, what it what does matter is that you're actually able to achieve the outcomes that your customers have come to you for, whether it's an individual client looking for weight loss or whether it's an elite athlete looking to win a gold medal at the day. Now, yes, there's a filtering process that's in place that society has put together for us. So we, we don't want unqualified people because they might harm people. There's the whole concept of scope of practice. There's, there's the requirements of an employer. It is entirely up to them to determine the, you know, the credentials that you should have. It's they're the ones giving you the work. Mm. But either which way, 
these bits of paper and so on might offer you opportunities on the basis of keys to doors, whether it's professional registration or a, uh, access to a job interview, but 99% of us will operate privately, one-to-one -one, or yeah. in group settings where you are your own employer. You've got to find your own clients. The, by far the most successful practitioners out there are people making a lot of money. That's yeah. very successful. We've got uh, some members who are openly yeah, accredited that went through your yeah, program. Yeah, we've got graduates as well. Did your program and yeah. single service yeah. providers? There, we 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 did our survey. Thirty, just over thirty percent of the member base um, participated in it, and we're like, and, and I would I should also say some didn't because they weren't single service providers, and this survey was geared to those, or, yeah. or then employee employees in a service provision setting. So some of our members have multi million dollar companies that they run, and they've got multiple people under them. So there's yeah. no way that. Like that, like they'll skew the data, but um, we have six people doing over four hundred thousand dollars a year, and it's just them with with then maybe administrative support. That's it. No one else. Yeah. Under, no one else under them. No no additional practitioners. Well, you think about what's involved in that. You know, you got somebody who's good at um, uh, they're confident people. They, 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 they've got to be good at uh, pitching. They've got to be good at organizing their business. They've got to be good at all sorts of things that does not come under the bracket of sport and exercise nutrition. And you absolutely are not taught these things at university. It's a matter failure of that method of education. So even if you do choose to spend years going through college, which I have now eventually done, um, getting your various degrees, you are going to find yourself with that gap that I assessed in my doctoral research that is vast. I mean, the word gaps, just three, three letters. It is much <laughs> bigger than a three letter word. It is so big that in the UK alone, um, there are thousands of graduates of sports science degrees, sports nutrition, strength conditioning, and so on. Sports nutrition being the, the, the probably one of the biggest growing areas along with strength conditioning. It's absolutely vast numbers. Where are most of those graduates? They're in real estate. They're in anything but sports sport and exercise, nutrition. The amount of jobs in elite sport are maybe uh, as many as I've got on my on my fingers I mean you, you, you know if you think in Australia you know uh, the number of sports teams that are hiring sports nutritionists is still quite new yes you've got like one of our graduates is now head of performance at the um, what is it the New South Wales Warrat Waratahs for example mm -hmm. um, uh, those are relatively new examples of, of people uh, but then there, there, that's an example of where somebody is head of performance, strength, conditioning, et cetera, and sports nutrition is an added specialization. So then we've got this other problem. Um, and I realize we're going down a few rabbit holes. No, I like it. I like it. That's the way my brain works. But the point, though, is, is that rarely is sports nutrition an actual sing singular defined uh, profession, yeah. but that's the only thing that you're going to do. No, your successful online coaches are also teaching them uh, about sport, exercise, behavior change. There's a whole psychological element there, of course. Uh, and the whole concept of coaching itself is an art form. Mm. You know, uh, uh, 
uh, of course. But are there many successful sports nutritionists? I would say, I, I, you know, there are very few highly paid sports nutritionists. Um, as I say, it's it's the self-employed pathway actually that gets you into being a very successful without 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 a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we. Yeah, you have to define what you mean by success. Of course, not everyone financially affluent, good work-life balance, buy buy in from their clients. I would say it is a landslide if 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 they're your criteria for success, like work-life balance, lifestyle, financial affluence, and then client buy-in and satisfaction. It's private practice by a landslide. Oh, by a landslide. And so, although I've worked with you know Team GB and lots of Premier League football and rugby teams and so on. Most of those gigs have been very part-time, but they absolutely have played a role, I guess. I mean, I look, you know, it enhances my resume and so on. Mm. But my career has largely been based on what I've achieved privately in terms of what I've been able to do in terms of providing for myself and my family, my my home, the ability to take on a mortgage, investments, this sort of thing. You're not going to earn that money really via... Working for sports team, teams. team sports, and yeah. I would, Some I, of the- I would say it, it can help, and it's brand association and all those sorts of things. And you certainly learn a lot working in those uh, those environments. But yeah, striving to achieve a successful career where this is your your passion is going to be largely in the private sector, and that's where this conversation is important because your perception of what is required to get you there is based on a lot of misinformation i feel that is that is promoted by the industry that is the traditional education system um and um there's a lot involved in getting a degree absolutely um but whether or not that that method of education is geared around making you effective and impactful particularly in private practice i would say it's a resounding failure and i think you know, a lot of people that have done those degrees will will, will recognize that. Um, the so statistics and you... figures support that though as well. Typically, yeah. um, so in Australia, we've got um, stats around that. And the from, from the last survey that I came across, it was that the majority of dietitians, which they get private health provider numbers, government funded work, um, the taxation, there's, there's, there's far greater taxation benefits for dietitians as well. There's no revenue taxes, they actually get refunds. Yeah rather than other service providers paying the tax. Uh, 80% fail private practice in tw- within 12 months. So- Yeah, it's shocking, isn't yeah. it? And you, but you think how much time you've put into that, the sacrifices that- Four and a half, five years, 60,000 plus I mean, dollars. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, UK, Australia is one thing, but if, if somebody's in the States, Ooh, the United yeah. States, the- you can add another zero on the end of that, the, the sheer cost. You know, you've got people in their 40s commonly still paying down student loans that they started in their 20s. That's horrific. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, you, you, you need to be sort of a Harvard, uh, Cornell, you know, law or neurosurgeon yeah. type graduate to be earning sufficient money to pay that stuff off. I, the cost to benefit of that pathway is pretty questionable. But that is the myth that still persists in every country is that that's the best way to achieve these things. Now, 
you know, I think we should be, we should obviously be careful and say, look, if if your absolute goal in life, irrelevant of how much money you earn and the longevity of that, which by the way, in pro sport might just be a season. Mm. It's quite commonly, particularly if the, you know, the, the, what we call the gaffer moves on, he will take his inner circle with him and you're out with a, you know, you've got no job anyway within a year. You certainly don't want to look at that from a secure, yeah. you know, job perspective. Um, but if that's what you want to do, um, there are certain hoops you're going to have to go through. But I don't think that's really where our conversation needs to go. Because I would imagine, you know, most people are like you and me, you know, we, 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 we want to have a, a, a secure, safe environment for our, our families. And, and we want to build it onwards and upwards towards something, you know, meaningful. And that's where this conversation has value. Definitely. And I think that's um, something that we've touched on in the last year, a few times now. And it's a concept uh, the, like uh, it's evolved into a concept that I've been playing with, which is like, once you've passed all the trials associated with private practice establishment and you are now in, it's now time to start thinking of life outside of sports nutrition. Yeah. Um, and part of that is, is like part of that conversation and part of that, I guess, internal discussion that people need to have within themselves and then have with their peers as well is, how much study do I do and how far do I keep progressing? And contrary to what people may believe, um, and, and for, for the two of us, because you know our position at the association is, hey, we at least want you to have grad, grad dip or grad dip or its equivalent or a bachelor's to be openly accredited and practicing full-time. Like if this is your full-time career, you need to have that. Um, there's a lot of established precedents for those is the standards. And so we're not going against that. Um, but a lot of people say they'll finish your program and they'll say, all right, I've got to go do my master's next. What master's should I do? And I think they'd be very surprised with your answer. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, we've talked about this a lot and um, <clears throat> I looked at this when I did my doctoral research was, you know, for example, in my case, I started, doing what we do at the IOPN, having gotten two master's degrees myself, one in exercise science and the other one in, in nutrition. And it, it wasn't a failure in those programs, you know, because you could say, oh, you just happened to, to have done two terrible master's degrees. It wasn't about that. It, it was more that, that what is required to be effective and impactful in your work as a, as a nutritionist, as a coach, as a health you know, coach, whatever term you want to use, there are so many different aspects to that. And if all you've done is mastered, you know, the, 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 the knowledge that is found within some textbooks and, you, you know, you, 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 you've been able to conduct some research on, you know, whether or not rats and mice know how to use a knife and fork for example is really it, it's so disassociated with the realities and requirements of real life practice that unless you've got all the time in your world you know particularly yeah if you're if you're only 18 19 years old and that's the absolute you know you already know what you're going to do and most of us don't so if you know what you're going to do then yeah those three four years of your life you know you can look back on that and go it was expensive in many ways but there might be some value to having done that but if you're in your 20s already 
and you go, right, I'm going to go into all these different degrees. And before I know it, by the time I'm in my, my 30s, or if even if you're in your 30s, and this is now the conversation you're having with yourself, and I'm going to do this. And by the time I'm late 30s, early 40s, I'm going to finally have these industry gold standard qualifications, a master's degree or, or, or whatever, you are going to be so disappointed um, because you still won't have acquired the essential tools that are going to be necessary for you to actually achieve effective um, and an effective practice, effective outcomes that ultimately high levels of impact that are going to result in you being good at what you do, um, getting the results that people are going to pay for and, and, and pay well for and refer you word of mouth, etc. Uh, in an ever ever expanding sea of competitiveness so many people you're you're no longer competing with somebody in your local postcode in your town in your village mm. you know whether you're in australia or in, in scotland as i am you as an online coach for example you are competing with anyone from sri lanka to you know the united states you know, somewhere in Australia, obviously, some other part of Australia, absolutely anywhere on the planet that has access to um, the internet, for example, is a potential source of, of, of comp competition. So your, your people are going online looking for an online coach, for example, They're, they are largely going to be looking for somebody who can help them achieve the best possible results and outcomes. And then you've got things like buy-in, uh, you know, how do you buy in to that person's ability to deliver that to you? It is not these things on the wall. Okay. I'm not saying they, they're not useful and valuable. Of course, they've had a value in, in what I do. Primarily, I would say more as an academic and as a researcher and so on. And if that is your pathway, that is, that is, a, that is absolutely of great value if you want to publish papers and lecture at a university for a pitiful sum of money and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> But if you know, how many people in a cohort, just so I just want to touch yeah. on that as well, right? So we're saying, hey, mm -hmm. if you want to do a master's, do like do master's or PhD, and you want to do research because you're genuinely passionate and curious about this stuff, how many people in a university cohort would you say, or like what percentage of a cohort does that actually suit? Um, very few. <laughs> well, you see. So say so out of, say, 15, 20 people in a standard university cohort, so like I used to run a master's degree at a London university, so we would get sort of 15, well, over the years, they would expand the number of students. Why? Because the university wanted to make more money, but that lowered the standards of supervision and so on, but that's another conversation. But the 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 thing there is is that well firstly people will will apply for that thing because in their application they'll say i want to work for arsenal or whatever right it's one job one job okay and you're not going to get that job by the way so you know almost nobody will get that job so um most of those people will, will acquire that qualification and then go back to wherever they're going to go and um they will then find that they can't make a living and hence my comment about now they're doing real estate or whatever. And it's, you know, they're, I don't mean that in any negative capacity. It's just the realisation that most people that will do those qualifications 
will not be able to sustain a living after it because they can't get work because mm. they, they they don't know how to acquire clients they, they, they there's too much competition for these jobs that subsequently um people then realize it's paid sort of minimum wage yeah for blah 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 so the know, um, top dietitian your... in brisbane one of the top sport dietitians in brisbane had both rugby union and rugby league professional teams and the afl team and still had private practice clients just so people can understand that so like three of our like three of the biggest football codes yeah. in the country in Australia that had them and they were yeah. still doing private client yeah. clinic and yeah. they weren't getting paid much from know, those it's three. It's crazy. Teams. And I think that that, you know, there is a myth there that needs to be blown. It's advantageous to teams and universities to get interns and this, that and the other and so on. But the, ultimately, if it happens to come by as an opportunity, you just have to look at it as a short term opportunity but most people won't get these opportunities and they will find it disappointing for the most part but you know i i've done very well also in these regards but but you know to bring this back to the central point of does one need a master's degree well you know first you've also you could get a master's degree in sports nutrition is that of use to you i think i've already pointed out that practically nobody's going to have an exclusive sports nutrition practice practically nobody it certainly won't i don't think it's going to take you very far if that's the only thing that you do mm. um nothing wrong with a sports nutrition masters i'm just saying that 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 please don't feel that that's the only thing that you're going to do and as i've already pointed out it won't teach you how to be a sports nutrition practitioner it will just increase your level of knowledge particularly in the scientific aspects which, yeah. which is great if you want to lecture. It's great if you want to be a scientist, a researcher, not so useful if you want to be an actual practitioner, which is what most people want to be, which to go back to your previous question was, was you know, to how many people benefited as a result of doing that degree? Well, most of them didn't because they didn't, you know, they didn't realise that at the end of it, they still wouldn't get you know, loads of clients and they wouldn't just walk into any job because that's just, the reality is not how that works. Mm. Um, but there are many other kinds of master's degrees that exist and many other kinds of post-professional qualifications, certifications. So you could go and do sports psychology, you could do strength and conditioning, you could go do physical therapy, you could do uh, entrepreneurship, marketing, learn how to code websites, your own website, that, you know, behavior change training. There are so many different things you need to do. And I, I would recommend that people sit back and just think about more globally about what do they actually need to move to the next level? Does, does the ability to recite the contents of a textbook and sound all sciencey really have value to where you want to go next in your career because the people that you're working with don't need you to do that now let's differentiate that from needing to know needing to know what you need to know in order to be good at what you do yes and of course that's what we specialize in at the iopn at the advanced masters level except that our our process as you know because you've 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 gone through our program and done very well at but it's more about less about achieving things like a master's degree and doing research is more about uh, achieving the capacity to have, you know, the, the, the intellectual and critical analysis capacities in order to 
to take everything that's around you and apply that effectively into practice, not to write essays, but to actually apply it into practice, which is a different you know, situation altogether. So if you have completed, for example, your great program, something like ours even, for example, you're still going to sit there going, well, what's next? What do mm. I do next? And that's great because we have this capacity to want to better ourselves, to learn more. And doing a master's degree is absolutely an option. But I think there are so many other things that you could do and should do that will benefit you as it relates to your existing career and, and practice that you're going to find that doing a master's degree actually is probably a lot lower down that list of priorities. Maybe what you should do is create that list of priorities. Um, and it might well be your own anxieties about how people uh, uh, consider your level of expertise or qualifications or what, what, whatever, you seem to think you need to tick that box by having a certain credential because there's a, a very grumpy, you know, nutritionist, dietitian, whatever in your community is going on about only registered dietitians should be working in this field. Um, it, 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 you know, is based on the fact that they themselves are not doing very well and that's because there's too much competition and they're not having the effectiveness or the impact that they're trying to achieve. So ah, it, it's complicated, mm. that's for sure. But you do need to think about this stuff. Yeah, uh, look, I agree. Um, and I think from our end, as soon as someone is openly accredited, so they've got grad dip, uh, bachelors, they've been practicing for three years and they've got three years of experience. We don't like from our end, you've, you're, you are sufficient. Your, your, your place in the industry is secure and sufficient. That that's all you need to do. But I think a lot of people still experience that to some extent, relatively that imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah. Well, imposter syndrome is interesting, isn't it? And you've got to ask yourself, I've, I've had imposter syndrome. I mean, I can tell you now, I, 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 after achieving two master's degrees, I still had imposter syndrome. Um, and actually, when I did my doctorate, the first doctorate I went down the path of was a PhD, which um, was much more, uh, my focus was going to be much more in physiology and, and bioenergetics and stuff like that. And that's just not my bag. I'm not gifted in that pathway. But then also... As I started to embark down that pathway and, you know, getting into research and statistics training and so on, I was like, this is like, I, I've already been a successful practitioner. I want to be even more successful. Does having doctor in front of your name or does, um, does that research really help me in my work? No, it doesn't. And, you know, I was working, I had a private practice, had my clients, like I said, I had the history of owning a gym and being a PT before and at no point did having extraordinary levels of knowledge about a very narrow domain of information um, ever rear itself as being the blatantly obvious area that I needed to approach in order to, to do a better job. That just wasn't it. Those were never the cracks that appeared in my failures as a businessman or as a, a practitioner. It was things like getting clients, retaining clients, mm. looking after my clients, managing taxes and 
learning how to charge appropriately, things like where, where to find the appropriate location for my gym, which I chose the worst possible location. If, if I had actually looked at it, I would have realized planning applications had already gone in for this place years before it opened. You know, stuff like that, stuff that you just look back and go, God, I wish I'd known about this. And particularly nowadays is how do you, if you're based in, in Brisbane or Melbourne or somewhere in Australia, how do you appeal to somebody in New York City? How do you appeal to a potential client uh, up here in Edinburgh and in, in, in Scotland? And, and, you know, it is very unlikely to be based on a particular qualification that's sitting on your wall. Now, obviously, in order to be good at what you do, you've also got to be able to, to not make fundamental mistakes that are going to land you in jail or be sued or cause harm thou shalt do no harm absolutely so understanding scope of practice um having the prerequisites that enables you to achieve a level of knowledge that is sufficient to get you started in practice and in particular that which um means that you're safe to practice and achieve uh uh, 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 the credentials that are necessary to become insured are important. Sorry, that's the wrong word, important. They're vital. They're essential, critical. Yeah. Yeah. They are essential. But it, it's that moving target of what is necessary to achieve that to filling that imposter syndrome gap of masters and, and doctorates. You know, it, it, and like it, I said, it's a careful, ba- it, 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 it's a funny balancing act. Hey, like it's, hey, yeah. you need to have enough to be registered insured recognized based yeah. based on your country's requirements and if well, you're online if we, then based on like we should do some standards. research yeah. here's an area that we should do some research and that is to assess all these people that are sitting there and going actually i think you know I've, I've been running my pt business or my nutrition coaching business for a period of time i'm going to go do I want to do a master's. What, what, the, you know, the reason why I want to do that is why? Is it because I'm so busy, I'm so successful with my clients that for some reason I want to now, you know, take out this extra time to do this master's degree? Or is it because... because some of the I'm conversations doing... I've had, it, yeah. it, it, are, it is those people as well. And yeah. even then, it, it's funny because I think to give people, if they see this part um, from what we've spoken mm. about, to give them some context... I, years ago, I was hounding you, hounding you, hounding you, hounding you, my masters, my masters, my masters is what I'm thinking. It's the research I want to do. And you were perpetually just talking me out of it. And I'm grateful for it because there's no way I would have the time to do what I do now. And if, if I was doing a masters and my initial study design and things that I was looking at was like PhD level anyway. So then it's like, oh, do you want to do this for the next three to five years? And the answer was no. And as I said to you at the time, Alex, it's just a question. You just need to think about it you know why do i want to do that and where is it going to take me and the perception of where it's going to take you versus the reality of where it's going to take you and and again it you know it just brings me back to what is it you're actually trying to achieve with all of this and if 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 you already know a fair amount about sport and exercise nutrition for example you can further yourself through a variety of methods additional advanced certifications which are you know part-time um part-time uh, postgraduate professional study like the iopn to help you become even better at what you do as a as a practitioner all different pathways the, the 
these research degrees are vast amounts of time and work. And as I said, it's a very narrow pathway that will take you away from being a practitioner, will take you away from building and developing your business, because what you're doing is building and developing a body of scientific research, something that's novel, hence my tongue-in-cheek comment about mice and rats knowing how to use a knife and fork that's novel you know is it relevant to you helping business executives losing weight no it isn't at all so you just need to think about how how it's going to benefit you with the cost to benefit aspect put in where it's going to cost a lot of money but more importantly i would argue in building and developing your business and your profession it's going to cost you a lot of time and time is our scarest of all resources and it's vast it's vast amounts of time and if it's taking you down a path where which if you truly really think about it is possibly not necessarily that valuable to you then you should park it for a bit and maybe look at what are the actual gaps in your career is it the ability to coach is it the ability to market yourself is it the ability to know how to run your business and you know can i actually communicate with people you know Mm. um you might be good at rocket science but does your does your client care about that maybe not you've just got to think about it. it's like the late prof tipton god bless his cotton socks who sadly left us a few months back now but you know he would always teach me for example to be skeptical but open-minded um, and I think there's a lot of people who, who get funneled down this being skeptical, science, 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 you know, this is all hocus pocus and whatnot, but you still need to be a little bit more open-minded and you can use that term open-minded, you know, approach it in different ways, open-minded, broad-minded, looking at the bigger picture. So whatever it is that you're doing, just be mindful of the bigger picture. And is it relevant to your actual needs? Not necessarily today or tomorrow, but, you know, are you, I remember t- talking to you about this, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, are you going to look back on that decision and go, why did I do that? Now, you can't predict it, but you do at least need to ask yourself, how likely is it that that's going to be valuable to your decisions? Yeah, is it going to be a significant tool in your toolkit in five to 10 years' time? Yeah, just think about it. There's no necessarily right or wrong because it's contextually, you know, the, the context matters. Of course, I had to throw that word in, obviously, but 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 the context really does matter, but you just got to think about it and people don't. And I think that's what it is, is they go, right, what's next? Right, you know, there's this sort of pressure I feel to go and do a master's or something or a PhD. It may well be the right thing for you to do, but you need to seriously think that through. Yeah, um, I completely yeah, agree. I think it. the criteria, and you've touched on it a number of times, is that if they're not if they're not out of the initial startup phase in private practice and they don't have consistent clients, a consistent stream of referrals and new clients and leads, and they're not able to retain clients well, then you shouldn't be considering additional study until you nail that. And, that, and that's what we have yeah. now. We're like we revamped our um, business um, and like service provision unit and module within our program, just so that way we can have a blueprint we surveyed like a, like a great deal of the member base of the outliers, both with like doing ex- exceptionally well and not doing that well, and 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 sort of you know still being on the fence and not having transition. We Very did good. go with a few of them, and everything tends to fall 
relatively close within a standard deviation or two from the mean. And the trend is like, hey, there's this really painful startup period as is with any, any aspect of private practice work where you're a single service provider. And once you get through that, then it's time to start looking at it. And yes, it's definitely a good question to ask yourself. But then it's like what you've said um, and highlighted. It's like, is this, is a master's, is a PhD, are these programs going to be adding value to what you're doing in five to 10 years time is the question. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe in five to 10 years time is when you do it. For example, I did my, um, I turned 50 this year. Let's keep that quiet. Um, And I did, I did my doctorate. Um, what was it? I started that five, six years ago. Mm. So I was in my, let's say my mid forties, you know? So I'm by no means a perfect example, (laughs) but my point being is I'd already achieved a lot of success before I got my doctorate. And, um, you know, I just want people to think, that's all it is. Just think, think this stuff through, you know, the commitment to these things is vast. And I think to bring that back to what you were saying, you need to be able to, to work and operate with your practice, with your clients, and allow that to tick over so that you can pay your bills, sleep at night, live a life, stay healthy, etc. cetera. Um, and then, yes, top up your knowledge through, there are things you can do on the side with the minority of your time, part-time study is possible, listen to podcasts, read books, that sort of thing. But you still need to run the show as it is. Um, Because once you start going down masters and PhDs, you will find that that will take up a disproportionate amount of your time and energy and your focus. Um, And whilst there's always success stories, there are more failure, there's more failure and more misery uh, than people would care to to to, to highlight, sadly, mm. um, and it, that's why you know these conversations have value to people who are thinking about these things because they may not know that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think a lot of people sort of like, especially now, um, because there are a number of really highly qualified, evidence informed practitioners who was like you know pseudo influencers pseudo social media celebrities and stuff these days so they've set a really good example in the industry but there is a bit of a, a like an undercurrent of influence that's suggesting that you need to match those qualifications and or or, or, or follow in their footsteps and if you're feeling that it's normal but i think for a lot of people it's like listen to that if you're already spending hours in labs and you're already spending hours. But also, Alex, you, I, you know, a lot of these people, they, they, they've taken, like if we're thinking of people like Eric Holmes, uh, Brad Schoenfeld, like me, that they've done lots of things before that. They, you know, Brad's my age. In fact, he's a few years older than me. He only got his doctorate, I think, around about the time of turning 50. So just think about that. Now he's a professor. But um, and and Eric, who I uh, one of my master's degrees, I went to the same university as Eric, but he had had a career in the US Air Force uh, for a bit um, and then spent a long time as a PT before even getting his master's uh, and then moving to New Zealand, getting his PhD, etc. relatively later in life. But, you know, it's not that that defined them. It it it's their 
unique attitude to 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 their life and their passion and their 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 insatiable thirst for knowledge yes but also their infectiousness in what they do they're just really really good communicators they're leaders they're influencers that's not the degrees that they got they were doing that before they yeah. got those qualifications so just because you see blah 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 phd blah 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 msc you know there were things there were many things that they did before that point for the most part that got them there they just added those things on later which yes maybe you should do like i have get those credentials after that fact just don't rush at it because you see you know lane norton phd or whatever these are very rare characters there's very few of them that have achieved it and it's because of those credentials there are many other factors that have led to their their position that you find attractive shall we say that you want to be them you know that's need some thinking through yeah definitely i i i I'd agree and i've experienced it myself so i i, mm. I can speak to this firsthand and I'm, I'm like i've hung up my study boots for the foreseeable future are they fully retired maybe maybe not i don't know i'm going to revisit it in a few you can years always time. come out of retirement that's Alex. it <laughs> You know, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no bio, bio age or bio clock, uh, you know, not, no. not too much later in life. Exactly. Which is great. Yeah. Well, mate, thank you for that. Um, one other thing mm. that I wanted to touch on, uh, and get your take on is obviously we've been a big referrer, um, <coughs> over the years and a lot of people come to your program. There's a number of other programs that like, and institutes that we work with as well. Now, for those who are thinking, all right, I, I know I've got to do some further study and I want to double down and make this my career. So I've done the certificate with the association. Now I'm looking at the next steps and they're considering your program. Who, like, who's it for? What, what are they what, like? What, what's your ideal type of person? Who are the people that you want to be engaging with? So, um, so firstly, uh, we, you know, we're, very appreciative of this relationship we have with you guys. Um, we always have uh, a few of your graduates on our diploma and they always excel on our program and some are listening and, and uh, we're very proud of, of, of you guys. And, um, and as soon as they finish your program, they're automatically eligible for our program. That's important because we, we, ours is an advanced level program. Um, it is professionally orientated as opposed to purely academically orientated. That's a slightly potentially misleading statement to some people who don't understand that until they do it, because ours is still a what's called an EQF level seven program, which in Europe means master's degree level. But ours is professional practice focused as opposed to research lab um, thesis writing focused would be a simplistic statement there so for a lot of the things that i've just talked about our path is about taking somebody who is yes wanting to take things to the next level in terms of how they think how they approach real world scenarios and enable effective outcomes effective successful practice and give them the tools with which to do that through case study projects for example where we put them in different situations and then show them real world data real world scenarios and how to how to critically appraise that information and acquire and source utilize 
the relevant evidence that exists and the tools in the toolbox to get the outcomes that they want to do. And we approach that through a part-time teaching method, um, which is also quite flexible, bearing in mind the usual trials and tribulations that life throws us, whether it's work, whether it's life, children, family, holidays, seasonal stuff for those in professional sports, that sort of thing. So it is very much something you do alongside your existing work. That's the way that we 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 designed it. But that's what it is. It's about taking you from where you are now as somebody who's competent at what you do, which is what um, people you know will will need to demonstrate in order to get on to our, our program. And then we just take them to that next level. Um, you know, at, at, at this point, it, it, it becomes very different from, say, a master's degree because of the reasons I've just explained. It is very much about applying it's, stuff. Especially in, the master's in sport and exercise nutrition science or sports nutrition because yes. the master's programs at the moment are really, like, scientifically, academically focused. Yes. So, and I think... This is something like, especially in our industry, people aren't may not even be aware that certain master's programs are very heavily practical and professionally focused, but they just don't really exist in our industry, like in 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 in, in these these fields at the moment in the applied science. Oh no, you've got nursing. So you've got yeah. things like nursing, architecture, um, engineering, which are very applied practice focused programs. You know, you're training engineers, you're training clinicians, and when I did my my research on on how we bridge that gap uh, in our industry, I looked at those fields and looked how did we approach how do they approach the training of of masters um, in in their in their work, people who are going to be effective, you know, practitioners, technicians, engineers, and so on. And that's what we've we've started to approach in in our program is teaching people how to do stuff rather than just knowledge because there's science and then there's practice and there's a lot of things that goes in the mix of that like i say behavior change but also learning how to differentiate you know science from from good science bad science so you've got quality but you've also got relevance how do you determine the relevance of that information it may be super duper fantastic nobel prize winning science but it might be completely irrelevant to the context that you're actually working in um, and that takes some training and you do not get that in your traditional approaches to a master's degree for example why because the whole point of the master's degree is to take you to a point where you create that novel bit of research um, and then write your yeah. thesis and you're contributing novel knowledge to the scientific domain. However, what we're trying to do is train practitioners, not scientists. Practitioners need to understand science. So a certain training, a certain competence in that area. And, and, and is it is required. quite scientifically comprehensive still. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is it's necessary in order to be at that level, but you have to approach science from a practitioner lens. So that's why if you're going to talk about metabolism rather than, you know, looking at stuff that's only done in rat models, for example, uh, we want to look at studies that are um, maybe more focused in the real world. Um, it is a different approach. 
um, and 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 you need to understand how to find that information and you need to learn how to apply it into practical uh, applications, which is um, not the pathway of conducting research. They all have their values. Like we said, it just depends what it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, and that is something that we've learned to master in our, you know, in our own program. Mm. And it is, I, I guess, you know, because people, the choices out there, there's some clinical nutrition stuff. Some people may just want to go and do dietetics, right? Um, yeah. If you want to do clinical nutrition, dietetics, whatever it is, I would suggest like do that. And then if you want to double down and learn like applied performance nutrition, then this is for you. Yeah, if you, it's, well, this comes back to the whole scope of practice thing. So if, if you want to help people um, um, get over serious diseases, um, if you want to tackle clinical conditions, that sort of thing, um, then you're going to have to go down those pretty established pathways. Whether or not you enjoy that as a career is, you know, will be questionable. Um, you know, uh, whether that will sustain you a long, satisfying, uh, secure job is another one. I mean, you can't guarantee that for anyone, but that is very different approach than um, than it is when you're working with with recreational athletes i.e people going to the gym they just want to look better naked or physique you know athletes that sort of thing all the way to amateur triathletes marathon runners blah 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 all the way through to elite recreational athletes like ironman triathletes that sort of thing highly competitive physique athletes people who are just really serious you know it's a major part of almost every day yeah um you know is one thing and then obviously you've got elite pro athletes olympians pro you know football players rugby players whatever uh racing car drivers uh professional dancers that sort of thing those things do require a much higher level of uh, contextually relevant training and education. So if you're going to approach nutrition through the lens of clinical practice, it is not the same mm. as it is required to achieve optimum body composition, for example, where, yes, there's an aesthetic component to that, but it is a primarily a functional component. Somebody's lean, they look great because they look athletic, but they've actually got to perform as an athlete which is the primary function. Um, the things that influence adaptations to training, the things that influence optimum performance in a 90-minute game, things that influence performance in a five-day multi-stage ultra-endurance event, this is not the same thing that is uh, going to reduce uh, cholesterol in a sedentary individual. Yeah, It is not the same thing as managing a thyroid disorder. Where it is not the same thing um so they will share commonalities to a certain extent the very basics of of nutrition is the starting point and then that's where you will go down very different pathways so you can add one specialization to the other it'll just take you a very long time to do that but you can do it again it just you've got to ask yourself which path are you going um it's it's uh it's great, Alex, because there are so many options out there, but at the same time, it's a sea of conflicting, you know, confusion, advice, recommendations, and, and we're adding to that, obviously. Definitely, um, but I, I think I can say confidently, 
from my end and from my own experience and like, like I've got bias experience and stuff, but there's no conflict of interest here or anything like that with all our, with all our institutes, um, with what we have, it's just full transparency. We don't get, you know, all these kickbacks or anything like that. It's purely just an open thing based on like, uh, like open recommendations from, from our positions. And one of the big reasons that we do so strongly refer to you is that aside from you, there is no real access to this kind of information at an undergraduate level. Sports nutrition is re- like, like has been mm-hmm. steeped in postgraduate law for the last 30, 40 years that it's been around. It's you do your basic sciences, you get through your undergrads and then maybe in a master's, you'll get a bit more of a taste of it and then you'll do some PhD work. But it's, it, it's been a really hard thing to gain access to. And now we have a pathway where it's like, Hey, if you're genuinely interested in performance nutrition, you want to look at specific athlete cases, you want to be able to apply it. Well, this is something for you that you can sink your teeth into and, and, and really, um, you know, run with, whereas, and that's what I was saying for the people, if you want to do clinical stuff, this probably isn't for you, but like you alluded to as well, it's not going to be for you, not only from an interest level, but also from like a scope level anyway, like you, you're not going to be able to do this program and then be like, oh, I'm an openly accredited, uh, I'm an openly accredited sports nutritionist. Let's go fix your thyroid. We, we, we don't provide a policy that covers them anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, you know, look, there are people who will go down the sort of the more gray area, like in the UK, there's a gray area of nutrition practice, which is your nutritional therapy, functional medicine, and so on. And I'm not, I'm not going to comment on that only because it's a gray area for a reason. And that is because I personally would consider that an area that does not fit within my own scope of practice. Um, And I've delved into that in the past. You know, I said many years ago that I got into alternative medicine and so on, but that was before I understood the limits of where I was with my own training, education and so on. Um, And it's very tempting to go down that pathway because, as I say, for a good reason, you just want to help people. You've just got to recognise that, you know, in order to help people with those sorts of problems, you need vast amounts of knowledge and experience in that specific domain. And if all you've done is a certificate or a year or two of training, you don't have the knowledge to go down a path where you could irreversibly damage someone's health and life. And really, do you really need to be doing that? There are so many people out there that need to lose weight that are medically healthy, so to speak. There are so many people that want help with body composition, performance outcomes, and so on. I would argue Far that's 90% of the market. 90% exactly. of the market working so, with dietitians, stay, nutritionists. Exactly. Stay within scope. In like refer, what would be a clinical setting. Yeah. And refer to the very to the many very capable clinicians in the nutrition sphere who can then work with those very specific problems. And then you can work in tandem where you're the expert in performance and functional body composition type stuff where they will deal with the, uh, the, 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 the clinical aspects. And then as a referral network, you all help each other. And most importantly, we do the right thing for our clients, for our, for our clients and for their patients. That's it. Well, mate, thank you. That was great. Yeah, thank you.